Thank you, blessed God, that when we're in bondage, that there is a payment to liberate us. And thank you that Jesus paid it. Thank you that he satisfied the court and the fines of heaven against us with his own blood. And thank you, dear God, that we are free. We're free now to approach you. We're free now to adore you. We're free now to walk with you. And we're free now to enjoy your glory here and in the hereafter. Dear God, we need that because some of us have come today with some anguish. Some of us are brokenhearted. We've had some hurts and sorrows come our way. Some of them have devastated us. We don't know what to do with them except bring them to you. And thank you, dear God, that every time we do, you hear and you're ready to bless. Teach that to us and strengthen us in our walk with you now. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. God bless you. Please be seated. Boy, what a good crowd in this second service. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. And our children are dismissed to children's worship. Uh, I want to say uh, thank you so much for your prayers through these times and years. Clark, thank you for a great uh, approach to baptism. One of the things I want to point out today is um, Dr. Stuart Sims and his bride Diane are with us today. They had to be out for a while because Stuart was overcoming uh, some challenges uh, with, with his knee, and God has raised him up. God has raised him up by your prayers, and I think the Lord deserves a clap offering, don't you think? Yeah. We love you, and we'll keep on praying for you. Thank God for you. Let me invite your attention to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Um, there were some tourists going through some villages and hamlets in England a number of years ago. And you know, if you ever have the opportunity to visit there or some other place in Europe, you, you'll find that just about every corner, every building, uh, every bench, every grain of dirt has got some kind of historical significance there. And uh, they came upon a man sitting on a bench in a park, and they got into a conversation with him. And in the course of conversation, they asked him, they said, were there any great men or women born in this village? And he said, no, just babies. You know, great people are really not born, they're made. They're not often born, they're made. And Jabez is someone who was born in such a way that you would be very surprised to know that he became great. I want you to look with me in verse number 9 of 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Now, we're going to look at this text and a number of other texts. In fact, you can open your Bible just about anywhere, and I'll get there eventually. It's going to be one of those sermons, okay? So stay with me in these texts, and if you can't turn to them, write them down, read them later, uh, because I think they're going to help you and bless you marvelously as I preach on the subject this morning, anguished prayer. But let's look at Jabez and how he started. Verse number 9 of 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Now you can't see it in the English, but the word Jabez is taken from the same word at the end of verse 9, which is pain. His mama named him Pain. Now, I know there have been some others that want to say that about their sons, but she actually gave him the name. Pain is what happened there. Hey, January 26th is going to be a big day in the life of our church in this vein. On that day, we're going to ask you to commit an hour a week to our 24-7 prayer ministry. 
sometime during the morning, sometime during the afternoon, sometime in the evening, sometime in the early morning. We'd like to cover up every hour on the calendar with prayer from the, minister, uh, from the members of Beach Haven and pray for one another. It's okay to pray for yourself, but we're especially going to pray for one another. And we're going to ask you to give an act to start and commit and identify an hour each week that you can pray for members of Beach Haven and for yourself. But the second thing we're going to do that day that really is very relevant to Jabez, and I think he'd like to be here today for this, to be quite honest with you, but that is we want you to bring two or three requests that are impossible. It may be somebody that you need to see that you want to see saved. Maybe a parent. Maybe a child. Maybe a prodigal has drifted. Maybe, maybe some other condition, some other challenge. Maybe a struggling marriage. Maybe a struggling fa- uh, family. Some impossible request. We want to ask you to bring that day, two or three of them, And we're going to start praying, and we're going to pray for those for 40 days with our prayer ministry, and we're going to call them, to use Michael Katz's term, Him Possible Requests. Not impossible, but Him Possible. With God, all things are possible. And we're going to pray for one another, seek God over these things, apply His Word to our prayer life, and do such because of Jabez and his prayer. Now, as I said, his mother, when the boy was born, named him pain. And I want you to notice three things about Jabez this morning real quickly. First, Jabez the pain. His name Jabez means pain. Uh, The word pain, the Hebrew word pain, it was used in Genesis 3.16 for the pain Eve would experience in childbirth and mother since then. It's uh, also used in Proverbs 14.23 for the pain of poverty. And then Isaiah 14.3 uses it for turmoil and despair. There's a whole group of synonyms used around that word pain that describe that pain. It is a difficult thing. Jabez was called pain when he was born. Now, I don't know why his mother did that, but I have to tell you, I have been aware of this text and known about this text since I was a senior in high school. And friends, I am still stunned that a mother would call her son pain. She named him pain because she bore him in pain. Now, uh, we don't know exactly what the pain was. The text does not describe and the text does not say. But one or two possibilities exist. Either one, she was super sensitive to the ordinary pain of childbirth. Now, all women go through pain in childbirth of one kind or another. But apparently, she was extremely sensitive to the ordinary pain of childbirth. Or the second possibility is this. And that is, perhaps there was some pain that arrived in her life and intruded in her life when Jabez was born. Perhaps the father passed away at his birth. Perhaps his birth threw them into poverty. Perhaps um, there was unusual pain during childbirth. Not ordinary pain, but unusual pain. But it was so traumatic for this poor woman, that she named her son Pain. Now, one research psychologist did some research on kids with unusual or odd names, embarrassing names, and found that they're four times more likely to be in trouble with the law than those that our culture would say have ordinary names. This is Jabez. I don't know if anyone in the world, no matter how difficult the circumstances of their birth, who earn from their mama the name pain. But she has called him pain. That's Jabez the pain. But look further in verse number 9. 
Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. He was called pain, but something occurred in his life to transform him from pain to honorable. And it says he was more honorable than his brothers. Now, it doesn't mean his brothers were not honorable at all. They may have been very honorable, but Jabez was even more honorable than his brothers. Something transformed in his life. Something occurred in his life to change him from pain to honor. Now, this word honor is the same word used to King David in um, 1 Samuel 22. It's the same word used for the prophet of God in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, it's the same word used of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. And so the word honor given to Jabez was used of powerful military generals like Naaman. It was used of great, awesome kings like David. And it was used for men of God who were prophets of God. And so what's happened in Jabez's life is that he has gone from being a pain, in other words, arriving in the room and everybody ducking their head, to him walking in the room, electrifying the place, and they say, here comes Jabez. Hooray! He's finally arrived. Let's get this started. That's what's happened in his life. He's gone through some kind of transformation. And some of you have come here today with the same heart, the same desire. You've got some pain and it needs to be transformed. And I want to assure you there's enough love and there's enough grace in this room for Almighty God for it to begin to happen today in your own life. You're not hopeless. God can do something neat with you. And you can undergo a similar transformation. So there's Jabez the pain and Jabez the honorable. Well, how did he become honorable? Well, look at what the text says. It says in verse 10, and Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, all that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause more Jabez, that I may not cause more pain. And God answered his prayer. That's Jabez, the prayer. The things he's praying surface often in the biblical text. That you would bless me indeed, that's the first request. That's all through the Psalms. That you would enlarge my territory, that's the whole purpose of the book of Joshua. That your hand would be upon me, that's a theme in the book of Ezra. And that you would keep me from evil, the evil of suffering and the evil of sin. Well, that's the last request in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into trial or trouble, but deliver us from the evil one. These themes are biblical themes, and that's a great hint to your own prayer life. Find out what the Word of God says and pray for that. Ask God to answer the prayers that are suggested by the biblical text that you read every morning. So that's Jabez, the prayer. Now here's what I want to urge you to do. As you deal with the anguish and the struggle of your own life, it's going to be very, very important that you make a one-to-one -one connection between your anguish and your prayers. Do not bear it alone. Bring it to God. Bring it constantly, fervently, voraciously, hungrily, thirstily before God. Give Him your anguish. In other words, connect your anguish with prayer. And the question I want to ask and answer this morning is why? Why? Well, the first thing is this. The first reason to connect your anguish to your prayers is this. Platforms. Your anguish, now watch this, your anguish is a platform God wants to occupy to prove to the world that He faithfully 
and abundantly cares for his children when they call on his name. So what your anguish does is that your anguish gives God a stage and he'll step into the middle of it when you call upon his name and he will shine and show out for the sake of Jesus Christ to demonstrate just how good and how faithful he is. Listen, when you're suffering and you go through it, people's attention is on you. And God's intention is to use that to magnify his name, to provide for your need, and to show others just how faithful and good he is. Listen, your pain is not necessarily a defeat. It's not necessarily two steps backward. It's not the end. It is a platform. It is a stage. And you invite God to stand in the middle of it. And God is faithful and he will do it. So first, it's a platform. But that's not all. It's also a signal. It's a signal. Your pain is a signal that God is ready with the blessing that you have not asked for yet. He's ready. In other words, when you come across pain and suffering and difficulty, God's not surprised by that. God has never looked at any experience of anguish you've ever had and said, oh, that caught me by surprise. I sure wasn't expecting that. Oops, I didn't mean for that to happen. God has never done that at all. God has never, ever been caught up short. God from eternity past has been aware of every bit of anguish that would intrude into your life. And he long ago was prepared with the blessing, with the grace, with the mercy to intervene with that into your life if you'd ask him. It's a signal. It's a signal that you need to get to asking and probably gather some others around you to ask as well. By the way, don't pray alone, even if you pray alone. Gather others to pray with you. Learn how to pray in groups. Learn how to pray in partners. And then learn to how, how to share your prayer request. So it is a signal that God wants to do something great in your life. Now here's what you do when you come upon some anguish. You experience that. You're going through it. You start searching God's Word. And you let God draw your attention to a biblical text. And He'll make, he'll make you sensitive to it if you're open, if you're surrendered. It'll come to mind often and frequently. You'll be reading your Bible and you just can't get past that verse or that passage. Ask God to draw your attention to a passage. And then you zero in on it. You think about every word, you apply it to your anguish, and then you make that biblical text your prayer. And here's why I want to encourage you to do that. Jesus said in John 15, in a context of difficulty, the night before he'd be crucified, context of pruning, we get pruned like we are a vine, uh, like we're some kind of fruit-bearing tree. God prunes us, so the context is difficulty and anguish. Here's what Jesus said in John 15, 7. He said, if you abide in me, in other words, you're saved, you know me, and you're seeking to walk with me, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Abide. In other words, you're at home with me. That's what it means to abide. And my word is at home with you. When those conditions are met, under those circumstances, you ask God for whatever you want, and Jesus said, I'll come through every time. That's what you do with your anguish. You start searching the Scripture because it is a signal. 
God has a blessing prepared for you from long ago that you simply haven't asked for yet, but by looking at God's Word, you then know what to ask for. And God will be faithful to come through. So your anguish needs to be connected to your prayer because anguish is a platform and it's a signal, but it's a third thing as well. Your anguish is a teacher. Your anguish happens to be a teacher. And that is, your anguish teaches you that God has not given up instructing you about prayer. He's not given up. He's still acting in your life, allowing things in your life to move you closer to Him, to seek Him. So, in other words, instead of anguish being a sign that God disapproves of you, it may be a sign that God approves of you. That's what anguish can do. It is a teacher that God has not finished teaching you how to pray. Now, there are at least three things I want to draw your attention to that God may be teaching you to pray about in your anguish. And this is where we need to look at the text and some other places. And I want you to turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. The first thing that prayer teaches to pray through, teaches us to pray through, is shame. The kind of awful embarrassment that we feel when we have a problem. It may be mental, it may be emotional, it may be sinful, whatever it may be. Anguish will teach you to pray through because you can't handle it otherwise unless you seek God, unless you cast your all on Him. So anguish will teach you. It, in fact, it, 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 anguish would get downright rude and shove you into the presence of God, and that's where you need to be. It will teach you to pray about your shame. Now, I want you to look at James chapter 5 and verse number 13. Look what it says here. It goes from the individual to the group. And I want you to watch this transition from verse 13 to 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Here's a transition. Let him call for the elders of the church. That's a pastor and staff. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. A couple of things about this. You need, in a time of anguish, to get past You've got to get past shame. Shame will beat you down. Shame will limit your opportunities. Shame will limit your ability. Shame will limit your vision. It will rob you of your joy. It will put you in a prison house of a downcast spirit as long as it possibly can, and it will not show you where the key is out of that place. You've got to get past shame. Now, here's how we do this. First, others need your prayers. Well, that's the point of the text. Someone is sick. Well, don't be ashamed about it. Let us pray for you. Um, someone is um, suffering. Someone is sin. If you're aware of someone that is struggling with these manifestations of anguish, pray for them. Uh, so, uh, Samuel would say to Israel before departing and leaving the scene, in 1 Samuel 12, 23, Far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord, by ceasing to pray for you. 
One of the most damaging things we can do to other people is fail to pray for them when they are in a time of anguish. So being disciplined to be able to write down their request or at least having an iron trap memory, if we don't have that, at least writing them down. Somehow or another, coming up with a system to remember their prayer request and seek God for them on their behalf. Because quite frankly, let me ask you, have you ever been so full of anguish that you just couldn't pray yourself? Well, that's when you need other people to help you. That's when you've got to have others. So other people need your prayers. But there's a second thing. You need other people's prayers. They've got to pray for you. In other words, you've got to make room for this text in your own life. Whatever it takes to get past the shame and let other people in and know the challenges that you're facing are extremely important. Well, that means I'm going to bleed all over the place. Well, you know, welcome to the human race. Just don't bleed around sharks, okay? Don't bleed around sharks. Some people you can't bleed around. I understand that. But with an appropriate number of people, share your burden. And you share it especially with those who are noted for their prayer life. In other words, you've got to be tightly connected to someone who knows how to lay hold of God, to claim His promises, to stand on His Word, and get results. In other words, that's the person James is speaking of in verse 16. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's what you're looking for. Get those kinds of people into your life. Because listen to me, you are no stronger than your secrets. Your secrets will form a ceiling over you. Somehow or another, you've got to communicate them to an appropriate person or appropriate group of people and get them to lay hold of God and stand on His Word and help you through that time, and you'll be glad that you did. So prayer teaches us to pray through the anguish of shame, but that's not all. It also teaches us to pray through uncertainty, the anguish of uncertainty. There have been many, many times I just have not known how to pray. And that's why I appreciate Romans chapter 8. Turn there with me, Romans 8. And verse number 28 is a promise that many of us have used as a pillow and a warm quilt at night. And it's put us to bed in sweet, sweet sleep. Romans 8, 28. If you know it, say it with me. And God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. That, I think, over the last 30 years has become the most popular promise in churches that I've known anything about. Churches go through certain eras and they go through certain trends. And I think in the last 30 years, that's probably been the most prominent promise among God's people. God actively causes good to come out of difficulty for those who know Him, who are called according to His purpose, and those who love Him. But the thing I want you to notice is that this great promise in verse 28 is preceded by a condition in verse number 26 that's assumed here in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, God does not cause all things to work together for good automatically. 
We've got to be called according to His purpose. In other words, we need to be saved. We need to love Him. And when we do, we've got to pray. And we need to get others to pray for us as well. The pronouns used here in verse 26 are plural, not individual, not singular. We need to pray. And when we don't know what to pray, when we are uncertain about how to pray, the Holy Spirit will intervene as we pray, and God will get active in making all things work together for good to those that have been called according to His purpose, the call of salvation, and who love Him. So when you don't know how to pray, and when you're dealing with the anguish of uncertainty, then anguish teaches us to pray and to have others pray for us as well. But there's a third thing to pray through as well. Not just shame and not just uncertainty, but opposition. Opposition. C.S. Lewis, in his book Screwtape Letters, imagines a horde of demons with a leader called Wormwood who gives counsel to the younger demons about how to trip up and make life difficult for Christians and to thwart the cause of Jesus Christ. And he imagines a conversation between them and says to them and counsels them, interfere at all cost and at any price when they start to pray. Because prayer is lethal to our cause. Whenever you pray, you are assaulting the kingdom of darkness. There is a kingdom of darkness there is, unseen to us, a spiritual battle taking place in the heavenlies and oftentimes in our midst. And it is a battle between God and the forces of evil, Satan and his demons. You join God and partner with God to assault that kingdom whenever you pray and seek God, especially when you're praying for others. And when we concentrate in prayer on others in our prayer life, so when there's opposition, pray. Now I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 59. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 16. The first 15 verses describe Israel decimated at every level. Things are extremely difficult in Israel. This text resonates with many who read it in the United States because we oftentimes believe that we see our own society in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, we're separated from God because of our sins. And then the fallout from verse 3 to verse number 15. And then in verse 16, God looks at Israel and He is stunned by what He sees. Or actually what He does not see. Look at verse 16. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. The word wondered here in verse 16 is actually a bit more intense than what is suggested here. He's not just sitting back scratching his head. He is shocked. Not that he's been surprised, but he's dismayed. He's brokenhearted because he looked out and he saw no one to engage in intercessory prayer. In other words, there's none of that going on. People are going about like everything's okay. And they're coming up with human imaginations and human inventions to address spiritual problems, and things aren't getting any better. And in the United States since 1960, we have poured trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars after problems, and they've only gotten worse, and there's no sign that they're getting any better. 
What's it going to take? So he says here, and he saw that there was no man, and he was shattered, he was broken, that there was no one to intercede. The word intercede is the Hebrew word pagah, and it's used in 1 Kings 1 and 2 over Solomon executing traitors to the kingdom. It's a violent word. And that same word, execution, a violent word, is used of the power of prayer. If you want to execute darkness, if you want to execute the forces of evil, if you want to eliminate the power of the enemy over someone's life, then begin to seek God and pray on their behalf. And if you need it in your own life, gather others to pray for you as well. In other words, anguish then is a call oftentimes to get involved in a spiritual warfare where the most powerful weapons happen to be holiness, faith, and prayer. And God can bring about a great victory when we do. Reminds me of something John Bozzano said in his book, The Power of Positive Praying. He's just described a horrible national situation. And he says this, America is sick. Politicians, educators, financiers, intellectuals, social commentators have not a clue how to make her well again. You do. God just told you. God promised you. He's done it before. You've read it countless times. It's in your hands. We're not waiting for Him. He is waiting for us. Don't ask, why doesn't God do something? God is asking, why don't you do something? There is an assault to be had. There's a war to be launched against the forces of darkness. And you can do it through intercessory prayer. Especially when you've got anguish. Because it is a platform. If you've got some anguish, God's about to get in the middle of it. And God is about to take center stage and show that He's a faithful Father who provides for His children when they cry out to Him. It's a signal. God's got a promise. God's got a promise. God's got a blessing. God's got a grace ready for you if you'll just ask Him. And it's teaching you to bring shame, uncertainty, and opposition to Him. You know, you could do that today. You could do that today. You can call on God and He can come through. He's promised to do so. He has said, in fact, in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? If God gave Jesus, if God gave Jesus for sinners, what is He going to do for His children? Do you know something? It is impossible for you to come to God today on His terms with a broken heart, with, all, with handfuls of anguish, with faith, trusting Christ, His death and resurrection, and God fail to come through. God is going to come through, and the cross is the sign of hope for you. That's what He's willing to do. And we want to urge you to do that, to come bring your sins Bring your brokenness, bring your heart, bring your anguish as you stand together now. Let me pray for you. And after we pray, our staff will receive you as you come. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the good news of the gospel. Thank you so much that Jesus has bled and there is remission. And I praise you.